Welcome back to The Reporter's Notebook, an Inside the Daily Press podcast featuring SMDP reporters discussing the most interesting stories of the week and previewing upcoming items of interest. Inside the Daily Press podcasts are produced by the Santa Monica Daily Press, the city's premier news source for two decades. Visit smdp.com for the news of the day. All right, welcome back to Inside the Daily Press. Um, I am here in the studio. This is Emily Sawicki, and I am joined over the phone with my editor, Matt Hall. Hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Yeah, well, so, so the reason I'm on the phone this week is because I have COVID. So uh, after potentially infecting the office for a day or two before I showed a symptom, um, I had to come come home early last week. So I'm doing okay at the moment. Uh, I guess I have a mild case. So, yeah, kind of everyone who's had COVID knows how this goes. You kind of have a variety of symptoms. But, yeah, generally I'm okay. Um, just I sound I would sound funny even if I was there in person, right? My voice is a little weird, a little coughing, but generally doing not so bad. Yeah, uh, I heard you mention that you had a, kind of a tough experience with the testing and all of that. Do you want to go into that at all or sort of water under the bridge at yeah. this point? Oh no, no! It, it was. I mean, I would swear, but we're on the air. So it was. It was definitely bad. I will say that. So, stay up front. How this works is if you think you have any symptoms. So in my case, I felt totally fine. No symptoms, nothing. Totally fine. Um, I came in and was having a conversation with someone else in our office, and all of a sudden, my voice sounded funny. I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's weird, right?" So anytime you have a weird symptom out there nowadays you should go and do a home COVID test. Get them anywhere. Government will give them to you for free, CVS, whatever. So I went and did one of those just out of an abundance of caution. And it came back with a weak positive result. It wasn't like a big glaring bright red line on my test. It was just like a little faint line. But it was enough that I was like, oh, damn, I got to go get a real test. And there's this thing in the county called uh, test and treat, which everyone should know about. If you don't, Google it. But it means that if you go to a COVID testing facility run by the county and you test positive, they will give you the anti-COVID drugs there and then at the facility, which is great. There are a bunch of rip-off, fly-by-night, private COVID test operators who will charge you hundreds of dollars and just give you a test and send you on your way. No one should go to any of those people. You should go to these county facilities. Because they're either going to be free or they're going to build your insurance and you don't pay anything. So fortunately, we have several of these in Santa Monica. Um, I went to one that's at Clover Park by the airport. And this is where it gets a little bit like comedy of errors, right? So in the website, it's like, hey, come here, get your test. No appointment needed. Cool. I show up and then there's a sign on the door that says, test by appointment only, right? Different than the website says. I'm liars. So, like, okay, cool. I'll make an appointment on my phone. But then the guy in there is like, well, if you want the PCR test, we'll do it right now. But a rapid test needs an appointment. All right. I still need a rapid test. Cool. I go and do that. But then they're like, oh, and it's actually it's 1145. So we're going to take an hour-long lunch break. So you can't make any appointments anyway. You have to start at 1 o'clock. That's a little ridiculous to me, but whatever. Then I make my appointment. And this is where it gets into being just kind of a unexpectedly rinky-dink operation. 
And I'm not knocking the staff who work there, but you think when you're going to a county healthcare facility, you're going to get a certain quality of care. And you walk in there, and it's literally a portable, like from when you were in high school. Like it's a rundown portable. And there's a woman sitting behind the desk, and her PPE consists of a legitimate mask, uh, a gown, and what is very literally a shower curtain that someone's run across a rod in front of where she's sitting. I get that PPE and curtains and masks and things might not be everyone's cup of tea, but if you're a county healthcare facility, you can have something more robust than a shower curtain, right? Like when I go and order my bagel, they figure out how to attach plastic to two by fours and build a screen, right? How is the county still giving people actual shower curtains? That's ridiculous. And then the woman's doing my appointment. And as she's doing the appointment, she has to, kind of switch between some different software and some obviously some different elements for a computer. And I can see her unplugging peripherals and plugging in different USBs. Like the county hasn't even given her a computer with enough USB ports to run the accessories necessary to do her job. Right? Like these are like little details, but also not super filling me with confidence. And then she says, well, he's a rapid test for a PCR. And I was like, well, did a home rapid. I'd like the drugs to treat COVID, please. I know I need those quite quickly. Let's do the, the rapid. And she says, well, if you've already done the home test, we recommend a PCR. So for folks who don't know, two different tests, rapid comes back immediately, PCR takes several days. And so I said, well, if it takes several days, I won't be able to get the drugs until that comes back, correct? She says, yes. And that will take three days. Yes. I have to take those drugs within several days of first showing symptoms. Yes. So if I do the thing you're telling me to do, I can't get the drugs I need to prevent the disease from progressing. And at that point, she sort of stares at me and it's like, well, maybe why don't we do both tests while you're here? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do both. But then she says, well, it doesn't actually matter because our nurse isn't here today, so we can't give you the drugs anyway. Like, what? What is going on here? Oh, my God. Like, like, how? What? What? but at that point I'm already there. So I just do the test and then I just immediately call my doctor. And this is an unsolicited plug, but I happen to be in the UCLA system. Uh, My doctor's office is like two blocks from my apartment on 12th street. It's great. They're great. I called them. I was like, Hey, listen to this that I just had to go through. And And my doctor was like, well, let's just do a phone consultation right now. And then they prescribed me, my uh, anti-COVID drugs, which I picked up at a local pharmacy and have then been taking ever since. But anyway, the point there is that's ridiculous and the county should be ashamed of themselves for running a facility that way. And related to that, before I get off my rant here, the woman, our nurse practitioner, whoever she was, that actually administered my COVID test wasn't even wearing her mask over her nose. Right? So like, Here's a person who spends her entire day in an enclosed space with, with people who think they have COVID, in my case, who knows they have COVID, and she's not covering her nose with her mask. Like, she's going to get COVID. And then anyone who came in that didn't have it is going to get it from her. Yeah, that's... It's just <laughs> We're more than two years into this at this point. Right, right. Two years in. If I can tell you're doing it wrong, then you're definitely doing it wrong because they should be medical professionals. But that's 
crazy. But it leads into one of the news stories for this week. So, I, like I said, I went through all this, but I'm not the only one, right? Because COVID cases are rising. And that's something we actually wrote about this week, that cases are up, um, hospitalizations are starting to increase. And, in fact, the metrics have increased significantly enough that we are now uh, in the medium tier of COVID community levels per the CDC guidelines. So we actually stepped up from low to medium this week, which is um, bad, but it's not disastrous. Like, we don't, we're not going to new masking mandates yet. Nothing's really changing. It's more of just kind of a warning sign for folks out there. COVID cases are increasing. Um, fortunately, hospitalizations are increasing, but not at a spike. It's not quite so serious. And deaths are still relatively stable. So it's kind of like medium bad news. But yeah, you're going out there, folks. You should wear a mask on public transit. Like, take precautions. Test before you go places. You know, we don't don't want to get into spike territory. Uh has Barbara Ferrer sort of suggested that the county might be willing to bring back some restrictions? I know it's pretty controversial in a lot of areas of the country. They're saying never again kind of thing. Yeah, so she, she hasn't said never again. I mean, the, the briefing this week, what she said was, um, you know, we don't need them right now. But uh, she hasn't ruled it out, you know. And they were saying that on a broader scale, you know, up to a third of communities could should be considering some sort of masking restriction now based on this spread. So hasn't ruled it out. Now, I don't think we know one way or the other, but I do think if we were to go, my personal interpretation of the briefings and the data and everything that's out there is a lot of it comes down to death and hospitalizations. You know, if, if our hospital system shows signs of stress, I think county leaders will do something. What will they do? You know, I don't know. Um, if it's just cases and it's not accompanied by deaths and stress on healthcare, I think we'll probably just tough it out. But, you know, well, we will cover it as that comes up. Yeah, don't, uh, don't throw away your KN95s just yet. No, absolutely not. So like I said, that was, that was what I did this week, uh, a lot of what I did this week. But you, you had a busy week uh, on the school's front. Why don't you... There's lots of stuff. Pick, pick something. What, what's the first thing you want to talk about on school? It was a busy schools week. It was a really busy schools week. Um, I actually took some notes. So the first one that I had written down was Olympic. Um, and that was the resignation of Anthony Fuller, who uh, was the principal of Olympic High School since 2015. Um, he announced early this week that he was resigning in protest over the alleged hypocrisy that he felt was taking place with the school district in the way that they were treating his students at Olympic. Olympic um, is a continuation high school, so it's a, a non-traditional school for students who are not um, achieving uh, in Samo High, sort of a more traditional public high school. Um, and he's saying they don't the district hasn't provided counselors. He's saying the district isn't providing extracurriculars or uh, teachers with specializations. So you'll have almost like an elementary school, one teacher who's teaching a variety of subjects, which is pretty uncommon um, in secondary schools. So he had a lot of complaints um, within two days of his resignation letter being published the superintendent, Ben Drotti, 
wrote his own letter where he, uh, I guess, made his arguments against um, Fuller's complaints and said that he thought um, it was misinformation in Drotty's words. So sort of a, a little back and forth there. Um, Fuller said that basically the Olympic campus, this all happened. Um, Matt, you were in town when this was happening. This was before I started working here, but they, the district sort of created a new cutting edge type of school, the project-based learning pathway that is sharing a campus at Olympic and Fuller is not the principal for the project-based learning campus that's technically under the Samohai umbrella. Um, And he's saying the district is giving all of its resources to these kids. Meanwhile, down the hall, his students are sort of getting the short end of the stick. Yeah, and and I've actually volunteered at Olympic, you know, years ago. I did some work there, and so I'm kind of familiar with that campus. And it's, it's always been a campus that has had multiple programs at it, but it's always been Olympic high school. And now, you know, if you go and take a look at it, it doesn't say Olympic, I don't think anywhere. It's very hard to find something that says Olympic high school. Uh, now it says, you know, the, what is it, the Barack and Obama Michelle Center for Excellence or something. Yeah, uh, something like that. Which, yeah, definitely been rebranded. And this project-based learning high school has taken over a significant part of the campus. And, you know, the district says that, uh, so part of Fuller's complaints is that students are getting less services, and the district has said it has less students at Olympic, right, because it's doing more to um, divert students who are short on credit at their um, schools of origin. So it's, instead of pushing them to Olympic, it's taking care of it on its regular campuses. But, you know, it's a source of controversy, right? It's definitely, you know, the two, Fuller and Drotty definitely do not agree on what the cause is, and even, the, like you say, the hypocrisy of it, right? Fuller says it's ridiculous. Drotty says it's part of the course. So, yeah, that got a lot of readership. People were mad about that. But people are mad about other school stuff, too. Like, what's your... What else are they mad about at schools? Because there was there was other stuff going on as well, right? Yeah. Um, the other main um, schools issue this week was this uh, watershed. Um, I think 138, something like that, page report detailing all of the water intrusion um, issues at the John Muir Smash campus that's over in Ocean Park. Um, so connected to our past story, this is, so John Muir and Smash is another single campus shit with multiple schools on it, right? One of which is project-based, just as a, as a weird connection to our past story there. But yes, yeah, go ahead. You're in Smash Campus. Yeah, um, and the, the buildings on the campus date back to about 1996. And according to this latest information from the district, the water intrusion issues date back perhaps as far back as the, the campus's construction. So a lot of early issues with the way it was built. And over the years, there, like any building, there have been um, renovations and additions and all kinds of things. And apparently throughout all of this, there have been leaks. There have been issues with mold. Um, they're now finding what seems to be termite damage and it's all sort of coming to a head. Um, I just watched the school board meeting last night. Apparently there is at least one classroom where they've actually had to immediately remove students 
Um, and that's because they tested the mold spore concentration in the air. They found that it was much higher than their consultant was comfortable with. When they removed the whiteboard in the classroom, it was a wall of mold right there behind the whiteboard. So parents are pretty upset because they're saying, this is the mold you can see with your eyes. You know, a lot of these issues are behind the drywall. A lot of them are in the creases around the windows. There's all sorts of issues going on at this campus. And um, the the biggest takeaway from me is that nobody knows what this is going to mean. Um, nobody knows what it's going to mean financially. Nobody knows what it's going to mean for having students on that campus. They might, everyone is saying they're hopeful that they'll be able to salvage the buildings and just, you know, do a lot of um, casement, sort of what they call the envelope replacements. So new stucco, new window casing, stuff like that. But there's a possibility they're going to be tearing down some buildings and that, as you know, um, would make it a multi-year, multi-multi-million dollar project. So huge headache for the district right now, not to mention the parents at that school. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy when you're like, yeah, we well, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't have to tear down our school, right? Like, that's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's kind of a big statement because that means that someone's actually thought through that demolition might be required, right? It's like, maybe the last thing you want to do, but it's on the list kind of kind of statement, right? Like, that's that's a big, I understand why parents are upset about that, right? And, you know, you had mentioned this earlier that it's, it's almost reminiscent of some of the early PCB kind of fears that erupted in Malibu, right? Where there was oh, environmental yeah. concerns that came up and initially it doesn't look like it's that big of a problem, but it, in this case, literally mushrooms and it becomes a huge ordeal. So yeah, that's a big, it's a big problem. Yeah, I they keep using this phrase called destructive investigation, which I've never heard before, but it's exactly what it sounds like. Basically, they're going to be tearing chunks of wall out of a lot of these buildings to see what is going on behind the drywall. And that alone is going to be tens of thousands of dollars. So and that's just the investigation part of it. And um, they're not anticipating any remediation to start until late fall at the earliest. Obviously, that's already into next school year. So parents are sort of on the edge of their seats to find out where their kids are going to be going to school in the fall. Yeah. I mean, so that's obviously, you know, a couple of bad news school stories, but, but what, there has been some, some I say more positive news, right? There's some other school stuff that maybe isn't so controversial. What was the, what was the third item on your school? Trip? All right. The third item, you're right. It's more positive. Um, it's, kind of took me a couple of people describing it to me before I could really wrap my head around it. But the best way that I can think of it, and this is the universal TK program, is that essentially right now, um, kids get free education uh, through, you know, public schools in California starting at age six guaranteed. That's the cutoff for kindergartners. Um and prior to age six, there's sort of all kinds of optional programs. You could put your kid in preschool, nursery school, Montessori. You could have them in daycare, bring them to grandma and grandpa's house. You know, it's, it's up to you what you want to do with your children. But most of those options cost money. Um, and it, there's sort of this wide array of hours and locations, and it gets kind of complicated. Um but 
part of the wild sort of budget surplus that California saw in 2021, um, the governor allocated toward this universal pre-kindergarten program. Um, And what that states is that four-year-olds throughout the state of California are now going to have the opportunity for a totally free public education program called universal pre-kindergarten, which is like a a one-year preschool um, that's going to take place before kindergarten. So right now you might have heard of TK, um, and it's a very narrow program. It's just for kids who are slightly too young to start uh, kindergarten with their, you know, classmates. Um, They're going to be expanding that gradually over the next three school years until every kid who's going to turn four, who's going to turn five in the year before kindergarten um, is eligible for this free program. So it's, it's kind of like a supplementary childcare kind of thing that the state is providing. Um, And the early learning specialists at the school district are enthusiastic about it as a great free program um, for kids to get some socialization and uh, some enrichment when they're real little. Yeah, so that's, that's and also interesting for folks, right? It's a, a big week for school news. Um, I know that coming up, so I'm obviously not going to be back in the office for a while because it's quarantine, but next week um, there is a city council meeting. And interestingly, so on that city council meeting, they're talking about remote access to meetings, which, you know, is interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, definitely got to access these meetings remotely. But just as the, uh, the preview item for folks for next week, um, on the city council agenda, there's something else that I think is actually kind of heartwarming is the wrong word. But there's a, uh, a gentleman in town, or he used to be in town, he died a couple of years ago, named Bob Holbrook. And Bob was a longtime council person here. He's a very beloved figure, and he's a really interesting character. It was a really interesting character. And he was on the city council for many years, but he was very much an independent thinker. Um, and folks have somewhat misinterpreted his legacy a little bit, but he was a like a really good guy and a really, I can't sort of stress enough how much of a, a benefit he was to the city for providing a really important point of view on all kinds of topics. But they're going to debate um, renaming a park after him, which is really nice because he cared a lot about parks. Um, and there's actually a, a very small park in town called Goose Egg Park over in the Noma area. And so they're going to talk about renaming that for him. So that, that's a nice item for folks to look forward to next week. Um, so that'll be a Tuesday city council meeting. So I will, uh, someone will be watching that, either me or Clara or you, depending on who's, who's doing what that day. But someone will watch it and we'll report out of that what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's it for this week. Do you have any, any other items of interest you want to give people a heads up on? Um, I think that, I think that's it for me um, as well. I, um, I know we have a lot of loyal listeners. Um, <laughs> so just a heads up next podcast. Uh, it's going to be Matt and Clara. Um, I will be out of town next week. And then, uh, and then we're going to be back to our scheduled programming starting in June. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a good point. It's, that'll be three consecutive reporters notebooks that only have one reporter on them. But yeah, that's a good point. So I guess folks will hear from me again next week with uh, Clara, but otherwise, 
everyone enjoy your week and uh, we will talk to you again later. Okay. And uh, you just rest up, you know, um, and hopefully maybe by Friday um, you'll be, you'll be itching to come back to the office. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Inside the Daily Press. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or listen on our website at smdp.com slash pod. Music for Inside the Daily Press is provided by The Brig Band, LA's premier jam band. To find out when and where you can hear them live, visit thebrigband.com. Thanks for listening.